mean, I got to say, like, shout out to the people that believe in us. Mm-hmm. You know, like every every step of the journey, there are certain people that just really they they go above and beyond in a way they didn't have to. And, you know, that changed that changed the tra- trajectory of my career. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back. Consume your favorite cannabis products. And get cozy Cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. It is Thursday, and you know we are recording another episode of the show. Joining us today from New York is Jacoby Holland, co-founder of On the Revel. On the Revel is the parent company for a collection of curated educational and networking experiences, democratizing information for those interested in the regulated cannabis industry. On the Revel events, known as Revelry, are conferences aimed at fostering an inclusive, collaborative, and flourishing cannabis sector. As an entrepreneur and advocate, Jacoby is known primarily for his work in startup ecosystems, corporate America, and the cannabis industry. Jacoby is also an entrepreneur in resident at Accenture, where he coaches internal enterprise teams to take a company from idea inception to millions in revenue to then hand off to an enterprise for scaling. And one more thing, he's also the founder of Jade Insights, a supply chain data insights software for the cannabis industry. We're super excited to have somebody, you know, in New York on the show. So with that, welcome. I thank you guys. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we're excited to have you on the show, Jacoby, and excited to speak with, you know, you're, you're like next in the line of these East Coasters we're having on. And I know things are he- heating up on the East Coast. So it's just real fun to kind of be be in the scene right now and kind of keep, you know, learning about it and kind of finding out what's next. So stoked to, stoked to dig into that later. But, you know, before we get too far, uh, let's learn a little bit more about you and, and maybe how you got your start in the industry. And, and you know, I, I, you know, we talked in the pre-show, you may have a little bit of a connection to Colorado and uh, grew up and were born here. So, you know, that's, that's awesome coming from the Mile High State. But now you're in New York. So tell us how you got out there and how you got involved with what you're doing now. Yeah, man. Uh, definitely born and raised in Colorado. Very proud of it. Um, I actually studied at Northern Colorado, University of Northern Colorado. And um, I graduated with an applied math degree and a communications degree. And thinking I was going to go get a big boy job, it was 2014 and the marijuana industry was calling me. Uh, I went and got a job as a maintenance man at a vertically integrated company out in Denver. And uh, my dad was like, I don't care that you're weed, but why are you the maintenance guy? <laughs> <laughs> College. Uh, but I was just so fascinated by the plant and all the opportunities, like to be a part of something brand new, I had been consuming for so long and just really like wanted to learn all about it. I didn't know anything about cultivation or the business side of it. Um, so I did that for about a year until basically the president of the company asked me the same question as my dad, like, why are you the maintenance guy here? <laughs> yeah. I told him I was fascinated about the industry. And then I told him a couple of things wrong with his business. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I was like, dude, you guys are growing the wrong plants. You guys are not um, cultivating based on like consumer preference. And he said, can you prove that? And, and I did. And then from then on, I worked in the, the kind of the office. I worked on the data side. And that was the beginning of uh, my cannabis career. Uh, and then um, maybe a year or two after that, 
I had a, a pretty crazy experience with, with my uncle. Um, throughout college and everything, I was, let's just say, magically making sure he got his plant medicine in New York. And uh, once he was in hospice, I just quit my job and, and went to New York indefinitely. There you go. Ironically, I, I was there. He was alive for about three months. Ironically, I hated it. As soon as I was done, I came straight back to Colorado. And um, once I got off the plane to Denver, I was like, what am I doing? I need to go back to New York. And that's just <laughs> kind of like been my focus ever since and built a community and, and family out here and just wanted to, to bring the, the power of the plant and, and change some of the things I saw that went wrong in Colorado. And that's kind of what we've been doing ever since. That's awesome. I love that. I feel like Jared has sort of a similar, you know, experience in cannabis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had did a similar thing to you that it just, you know, I was fascinated by it. And I was, you know, a couple of years after you in, in 2016, but I graduated college and just like forced my way onto this large cannabis farm and, and, uh, the, the, the college town I was in in Pueblo and did the same thing. Just basically like was working in the field, like pulling leaves off a plant and I did the yeah. same thing. I literally went to the owner one day and was like, dude, like I can go and bust my ass in the field all day and I can go to, you know, keep up with anybody here. And, you know, I could do all that, but I was like, my greatest asset's my brain. So like, let's put it to work and get it going. And you know, the rest was history. I worked my way up through a ton of different jobs through metric side and everything and then to sales. But, you know, I could vouch for you that, you know, I think doing that's almost a blessing in disguise of like, you learn everything from the ground up and you get to see all the different aspects of it. And like you, it sounds like you're more, you're a little more t tuned into like the culture aspect of it and wanting to kind of focus on consumers and, and you know, what, com cannabis companies need that. I mean, you and I could vouch that a lot of the first companies that kind of came off the ground, it took a lot of money. And so the people with the money weren't necessarily the people that, you know, understood the culture or were, you know, our age, I guess, and fresh out of college or something and, and, you know, wanting right. to kind of innovate. And so it really took, you know, a team, a team effort to kind of get to the next step. And, and it sounds like really that's what you're trying to do in New York now is, you know, bring some experience with you and kind of bring that different uh, viewpoint to things to help make it efficient, make it streamlined, but also uh, to give the consumers what they want. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, I got to say, like, shout out to the people that believe in us, mm -hmm. you know, like every, every step of the journey, there's certain people that just really, they, they go above and beyond in a way they didn't have to. And you know, that changed, that changed the trajectory of my career. So I appreciate that. Tom Regan, actually the president of, of Mindful back in the day. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a really humbling experience, you know, to be able to work from the ground up, especially, you know, it seems like you do a lot with entrepreneurs and things like that. So being able to have that experience, like understanding, you know, all different kinds of jobs in the industry is very important. Just like Jared was saying, you know, there's people that come in with just money and, you know, maybe they didn't have that humbling experience to, you know, work on the farm and, you know, trim leaves and things like that or work in maintenance. But being able to have those insights, I think, is much more helpful, especially if, you know, you are motivating and assisting other entrepreneurs in in the industry as well. So very cool. And we love that, you know, you got started in Colorado. Yeah. Um, but now that you're in New York, you know, in 2016, you started on the Revel. So tell us a little bit more about that company and your mission and what you guys stand for. Yeah. So um, moving to New York, I tried to get into the cannabis scene. Uh, I was consulting for, for clients throughout the country. And um, I wanted to get connected with people locally. So I would attend some of the events. And I met uh, my my fabulous business partner Lulu Sway at a Women Grow 420 event, and uh, both of us were just talking tech and, and cannabis in a way that we were not familiar with in New York. A lot of it, a lot of it was just purely on like 
finance or very, very one-on-one level, a little bit of like medical because the, the, the medical industry had just gone live. But uh, Lulu and I were talking about, like, like you mentioned, metric, different software platforms, the, the seed to sale like battles. Um, and so once we kind of hit it off, originally we started on the Revel as a lead gen kind of networking meetup because um, we both had our tech companies at the time. Mine was Jade Insights that I was building and, and she had another company that never quite took off the ground. And uh, I remember this moment after our first event where a woman came up to us crying and said, wow, this was the event that we needed. And I, I, I was just like astonished. I didn't realize like how impactful it was. And in retrospect, I can say that it's because Lulu and I were from the industry. So we brought in people that were our first degree connections to talk about what was really going on. Uh, I'm half black, half white. Um, she is a Chinese woman and we naturally, every single thing that we do is just filled with diversity, like mm -hmm. the way we move and our, um, our friends. So we didn't even think twice about the fact that we brought, you know, this eclectic bunch of speakers and then the audience that we attracted was just unlike any of the other audiences that we had been in. They were, you know, pretty homogenous people that like you'd kind of alluded to didn't quite understand like the spirit and the culture that we wanted to bring to this. And so we kind of took a step back and said, I think this could be more than we had originally planned. So we literally only did that one event, went mm -hmm. back to the drawing board. And then six months later, we started pumping these out every quarter nice. and it, it's only grown over, over the years. And it's been an audience that has been so passionate about what we bring. And uh, I'm like really honored to, to kind of just be a steward of this industry and, and really just make sure that people have access to the information. Like there's a lot of people talking, there's a lot of different plays, different ways to make money, but sometimes those platforms can be intimidating. Uh, sometimes they don't necessarily like speak a language that resonates with, you know, people that Lulu and I can, can communicate with. So in everything that we do, we just, we've just found so much value just, you know, making sure that our people get a say in this industry. And, and New York is like the coolest place in the world. We knew it would come here. And so we decided just to focus on New York and make it happen. That's pretty dope. You know, especially to start something and then have it kind of organically take off. I mean, it almost tells you you're right where you need to be, you know, and you're creating something of value to others that others need. So it sounds like you guys have definitely did that. But, you know, tell me a little bit more about the events. You know, what do these events consist of? You guys bringing in, you know, different speakers from the local area or are these, uh, you know, people from other states or, you know, have companies, you know, what do these events look like and what are you offering? Yeah. So from my tech background, as well as a lot of the work I do with Accenture now, um, I would say that Lulu and I share one, many things in common, but one specifically is that it's always user-centered design. So we take a step back from the regular like conference industry and how people say that like it has to flow. And we just really think about our different consumer segments. Like what are the, what's the information they want to learn? What's the way that they're going to receive it best? And that's what we do before every event. So our events feel different. Mm -hmm. if, in, if you talk to anybody that's been to one, you can feel the richness and like the intentionality of how it's designed. Um, I'd say our regular format is kind of Ted talk style. Nice. So we'll get people that have expertise in certain topics from out of state and we'll also balance it with people in state. 
and we'll tell them you have 10 minutes, dude. And a lot of times people are like, dude, I'm coming from California. I give this presentation all the time. It's like an hour. I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> you have 10 minutes. Yeah. And nice. the great thing about it is we're not getting some regurgitated content that mm-hmm. they always get because they have to really focus mm-hmm. and condense it. They make sure that like, the most important pieces come through and we work with them to make sure that it's, it's actionable information. Yeah. And I think our audience receives some of the best presentations that these individuals have, have given. And I love when I have the CEOs of these multi-million dollar companies like, dude, Jacoby, I'm like, I'm pretty nervous. I'm like, good. Yeah, good. You know, so that's, it's exciting. So I guess to answer your question, like our format regularly, we'll have four to eight speakers, depending on um, which event it is. We might do one or two panels and that's about it. There'll be a DJ, there'll be like, you know, break off areas where people can like meet with some of the vendors, but it's not an expo. Mm-hmm. It's people come for the content and the networking. Nice. Yeah. yeah, that's exciting. It sounds really fun. I know, you know, normal conferences, they get so boring. Like you're sitting there listening to somebody for an hour and like, you know, sitting there with your notes waiting for something really exciting and, you know, maybe one little glimpse out of the 45 <laughs> minutes or whatever. So I love that. I mean, that's really cool. And it's good for people to get that information quick, you know, like we don't really have time span anymore. Like we can't focus very long. So yeah. 15, 20 minutes, like sounds good. So that's really cool. I love that you guys do that. And I'm glad that the community is really receptive to it and you're balancing it with people from New York and all across the U S it's very cool. Yeah. I was thinking, you know, it's like the best of both worlds, you know, you're providing information, but then you're kind of forcing these speakers to like really get it out in like a, you know, a quick manner where there's not a lot of BS in between. It's like, get straight to the point. And the other piece I like too, that I don't think it's necessarily a new concept, but I think it's something that I'm not you, you, like used to, I guess, you know, growing up and, and in college and stuff, it was always like, you'd have to listen to these monologues. You know, I grew up in like the science background. And so there's always somebody, you know, doing a, you know, a presentation or something and it's always one person and slideshows and, and talking and it's really boring, but I like, you know, these, these new kind of like the panel format, it almost, cause then people can play off each other and then they could also you know, either backup information or kind of have a debate about it, like in the moment. And I think that's what I like about the panel format and, and kind of how you're formatting this, this end too. It's like very quick, but then it also, you get like a number of perspectives, like in real time, really. And you can get the vibe of the crowd. And so I think what you're doing really is just like modernizing the way that, you know, people want to see events. And that might be like the biggest piece of it all is not even so much the information you're sharing, but like the format and the delivery, like you said, you're really, you know, targeting your audience and giving them what they want, but then you're also doing it in a format that is also easy to digest. I mean, these are, these are conversations that people like YouTube and Netflix are having of like, how can we keep people's, you know, engagement and mm-hmm. keep them engaged and keep them interested in our content and then deliver what they want. And it sounds like you guys have went that far with your events. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I, I genuinely believe that the way our format feels when you come experience it is way beyond cannabis. Like it's, I've been to plenty of other conferences that have nothing to do with cannabis and they still don't feel the same. And when we're talking about something that people are so passionate and excited about, like it has to match that energy. And if it's going to like bring you down, then, then it's not going to inspire you to really want to like gas when you're in the game. And we also want to balance telling the truth. Like mm-hmm. as somebody that's in Colorado, you understand like people don't go to cannabis conferences in Colorado anymore. Yeah. Like they used to back in the day, or especially in California, mm-hmm. that excitement eventually fades mm-hmm. because you're in the industry and like kind of the novelty of it is gone. 
And you you got into something you didn't realize how hard it was going to be, right? It's all good when that that price per pound is nice and high. Everybody, <laughs> yeah. Once that starts to tank, it's like we want to make sure that people are deciding to opt into the industry with the right information. There you go. And they're not going in too bright eyed, bushy tailed of like, oh, I'm going to be a billionaire. Yeah. Like yes. it's, it's really hard. Yeah. Well, I love that you guys are doing that in New York, you know, especially as things are starting to heat up and you guys are getting ready for rec later this year. Like how perfect that you guys are offering this resource. I know if Colorado maybe had that back in the day, you know, maybe we might be a little bit different. But like you said, everybody was bright eyed and bushy tailed back then. So they really didn't have a clue. So that's very cool. Uh, There's one other portion to On the Revel that I was looking at, and it's that dope people membership. So do you want to tell us a little bit about that online um, community? Yeah, yeah, man. I love the dope people piece of this whole thing. So we've been having our events and then of course, you know, 2020 hits and everybody has a pivot. So we similarly kind of went into the podcast mode, just trying to connect. We kind of did webinars, trying to figure out what's the best way to, to keep our community engaged. And at the time, the MRTA, which is the bill that passed in New York, was like on the verge. And there's a lot of information that we need to make sure people were aware of. So we were especially motivated to, you know, like keep people connected. And uh, we have a, another member of our team, Peter, who um, is the youngest member of our team, but he like brings this energy of like all of the new things going on. Um, we had talked about uh, pre-show like Web3, like he's the one that kind of pushed me over in, into that world. But um, he kept saying like Discord, we got to be on Discord, we got to be on Discord. Yeah. I was like, I'm on Discord personally. But I'm like web native, right? Trying to convert <laughs> people from an in-person experience to like Discord can be kind of clunky and difficult if you're not, you know, like 25 and like in all of the blockchain projects or a gamer or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, we took we took a couple chances. We we always pilot things and just kind of see what happens and, and get feedback from the audience. And it has been a slow growth but it has been extremely impactful. And that's what we're always looking for is impact. So we would have these um, weekly, I don't know what you call them, shows on Discord where anybody can chime in and we're just talking about a certain topic. And there, I, we only released it to like 200 people. And we had the same 10 people come back every single week. Huh. And then we picked a different topic on a different day and it, they came back every single week. And it was very clear to me that this was a way that we no longer become like the single node of information. Now everybody else is starting to help each other. Instead of us, you have to come to a conference. We only have them every three months. You're waiting for information. You can ask a question. I don't have to be on my computer and someone else from our community is going to like share a link or share one of our own videos (laughs) or like it's hilarious when we post an event we haven't even marketed yet. And then I see people in our discord, like, yo, they dropped a new one. Like put your tickets now before they go. So it's, it's cool to see that it just like decentralizes the information sharing. Yeah. And it just, it's like to our core values, it just increases the access. And mm-hmm. that's really the name of the game. It creates more impact. Nice. I think that's so cool because then, you know, you can reach people beyond like the local area that you're in to come to your events. It's like, you can talk to somebody down. I'm like, you know, we have some guests on in Tennessee and like, you know, Florida and Michigan and California and Colorado. And, and I think that's awesome. I think that's what'll help 
elevate the industry to like the next level is like everybody on the same page, everybody talking about the same thing. Like where, where do we want to go as a culture and a community? And, you know, especially within cannabis, like where are we trying to go? You know, what problems are we trying to solve? And, and I think that's like the next big step of, of cannabis essentially is like the culture getting a voice again and having like some, some aspect of this that they're able to like write the future of cannabis. And I think that's what's gotten lost in a lot of these states, especially in Colorado, like you said, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's like, it's dead out here. Events are hard to go to anymore because mm-hmm. you're right. You know, like now, you know, we were with companies and, and they finally had, you know, sales are starting to dip from these record highs that they've hit in Colorado and reality starting to set in. And, um, you know, one of our favorite dispensary chains just announced that they're closing all their stores, you know, Buddy Boy. And that was like an OG in the can- in the Denver scene. And and so, you know, things are shifting. And, and I think, you know, other markets have to be aware of, you know, the pitfalls to it and what didn't work and and why these things are consolidating. And and I think the longer it takes to get that information out there, the more that other people are going to struggle. And, and I don't think it, it has to be that. That's been like our big theme of like this whole season is let's look to other states that have done this before, especially on the East Coast, as a lot of these states are quickly, you know, mobilizing to legalize, you know, let's not reinvent the wheel here and do something new in each state. Let's see what's worked, what hasn't worked in other areas, and then implement something that's built to, built to last, really. And, and New York, especially, I think, has a, has a platform to do something really spectacular. And, uh, yeah. and I think they're going to do it. And I think you guys are already kind of in the thick of it, helping to kind of direct traffic and, and kind of bring energy to the crowd that's going to be creating probably one of the biggest legal cannabis markets in the U.S., yeah, I mean, fundamentally, New York probably already is the biggest cannabis market in the U.S. And we're in this funny once in a lifetime gray area where it's been decriminalized. So you can smoke outside and every single block, you'll smell it every single everywhere you go. In fact, I love it. It's amazing. But the, the odd thing about the gray area is that they're not necessarily enforcing um, people that want to pop up and, and have a dispensary, if they have the real estate or they have a landlord that's cool with it, people are just selling weed right now. And it's a very short time in life that this will be cool yeah. because the, the regs are coming out soon. They're going to have to enforce this pretty soon. But it's a fun time to be alive because it's once in a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> now, was this happening before legalization started or this is just brand new since, you know, they approved it and we're here for the last couple months? So so obviously there's been people, you know, like selling weed for tens of, you know, Multiple. decades. Right? <laughs> yeah. And um, for the most part, I would say it's been through delivery. Like these guys have and, and girls have very sophisticated like delivery operations. Mm hmm. Um, before there was like Uber Eats, these yeah. these operations were killing it. <laughs> um, the the pending market and the same thing happened in California and in Colorado that I think ultimately went wrong is there's a full disrespect to the fact that the new capitalists are profiting on a demand that was built by the people that were there first. Yep. So just because it went right, you know, it, it went wreck or it became regulated. It's like, oh, all of a sudden there's a new industry. Well, no, there's just an industry you have to pay taxes on and, and do all these compliant things. But like that demand was built over time of all of these consumers consuming and sharing with their friends and all these, you know, low key marketing tactics. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, New York is aware of that and they're trying to be respectful 
mm-hmm. of the fact that it will take some time for people to convert. Yeah. You know, we've heard horror stories of people in California and and, and Colorado um, where you're just sitting on real estate, right? Like you, you got, you're waiting for your license to go through. And like, if this is your day job, this is how you feed your family on the unregulated market. Like you can't just stop eating for a year while the state like waits to get all your papers straight. So I I really respect that they're doing it um, with intention. Of course, there's many groups out there that I think are just kind of like carpet bagging and taking advantage of, of this moment. Um, But, you know, we live in a capitalist country. If there's something to be taken, people are going to shoot for it. Um, But, but it's, it's, it's going to make it interesting when it actually all shakes out. That's for sure. Yeah. Let's, you know, tell us a little bit more, if you will. You know, I know, I know the, the New York was one of the first places to kind of build social equity into some of the regulations and licensing structure. Um, you know, do you want to tell, do you have any insight, I guess, on kind of how they're going to go about that? And maybe, you know, if it's an equitable approach or if it's just kind of like them just doing like window dressing on, on an issue or. Yeah. So um, time will tell, but I, I can give you my two cents on, on everything that I know. So a lot of people kind of don't realize that the only reason we have such an equitable program was because Cuomo got into such hot water, like, oh, you know, two years ago, mm-hmm. there was two competing bills. One of them was terrible called the CRTA. And then there was this other one that was very progressive and like, you know, power to the people, the MRTA, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's not perfect. None of them are perfect, but if the CRTA passed, we're talking a completely different game. It would probably look like Florida you know, like where there's no access to people that help build this industry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this weird moment that I, I guess like that was one benefit of the Cuomo bullshit, but um, the MRTA passed and it was designed with the right spirit in mind that like people that have been incarcerated, that have been, you know, harassed by the war on drugs and like really ruined a lot of people's lives. This is an economic driver and it should fundamentally serve these populations. So um, the second piece of that, cool, you have a progressive bill, awesome. The next part is like, who is going to run the program? Yeah. And then there was a, a debate where it could have got ugly. There's some people that I heard their names. And I was like, oh my gosh, please do not let them run this. <laughs> and then another like act of God, we got the best possible person. So Chris Alexander was actually one of the authors of the MRTA, the oh, Work cool. Drug Policy Alliance. And um, I, I've known him since, since I came to New York. He's one of the, the first people that I met. And that also changes the game, right? Now you have someone in charge that is actually going to be thoughtful, that is going to go do the work to like really understand what are the difficulties for people trying to enter or considering converting into the industry. Mm-hmm. So the third piece is actually how it rolls out. And this is going to be, you know, the most important piece. They've done a couple interesting things already, which are debatable, but they gave the first provisional licenses to existing hemp farmers that wanted to convert, which is great. Like small businesses, they already in theory have like a running operation that could handle, um, you know, converting over. And then the first 100 to 200 retail licenses are going to go to, there's a a list of of attributes, but fundamentally it's people that have a history of a successful business 
and they have been convicted of um, uh, a drug charge. So it's also showing that they're prioritizing that kind of first mover advantage to yeah. people that deserve it. Mm-hmm. Now there's some debate about, you know, if all of those attributes are really like the best reflection of, of who should get them. Yeah. But to me, it shows that they're conscious of like the moves they make today have really lasting implications. And to be able to be one of the first dispensary owners for people that got locked up for literally having this plant. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, now, one other side to that coin is there's a lot of people that have existing operations that might not be the best fit for those retail licenses. Mm-hmm. So there's people that have sophisticated operations in the unregulated market to have a dispensary that has outdoor flour from upstate New York in potentially uh, like real estate that isn't like their core market. If you just think of it as a business, it's probably not the best move. So um, there's going to be inevitably majority of the people in the unregulated that are not going to apply for those first 100. And so there's going to need to be some more transitioning to make sure that it makes sense for them to cross over. Yeah, that was going to be one of my questions. And as you were talking, I was thinking about, you know, what's going on in California? Like, look at all the legacy growers who have been in it since the beginning. And a lot of them are not in the game in California because of the laws and regulations and fees and all of that. They've made it nearly impossible for them to actually play the game. So that is interesting and hopeful, you know, that New York is thinking about it from the forefront and, you know, trying to get these people involved. But like you said, you know, maybe it doesn't really make sense for some of them. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how that shakes out. And hopefully it is, you know, a very equitable program. And it allows, you know, these people who were impacted by the war on drugs to be involved because, you know, we wouldn't have them if it wasn't for, you know, these people who made those risks back then. So that's cool. cool. And, you know, it sounds like it's on the right track, though. It sounds overly pretty positive. There's promising signals. I'll say that. Yeah. I'm consciously optimistic. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, I think at least there's a conversation around it. And I think the conversation is like, it is geared towards, you know, what is, what is, what has not worked in other states. And, and you know, in Colorado is a great example of talking about what has not worked. You know, uh, Florida is a great example of like what definitely mm. don't do. It's just don't too do restrictive. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah. And in Colorado, I think Colorado and Oklahoma, like these are the kind of the big states come to my mind because they are free markets. Uh, they basically, there's not a lot of licensing caps. And in Colorado, there's a few municipalities that have licensing caps on dispensaries and such and grows and stuff. But Oklahoma, like, didn't put any licensing caps. And it's kind of crazy down there. There's a lot of licenses, very competitive. I think that's going to be a difficult market to kind of work through. But I think the overall gist of like what people should be doing is definitely don't be limiting licenses like Florida's doing. I think that's one way to to create like a very non-equitable program. And I think the other piece, like Lucy said, is, you know, the fee structure, the taxes. And I think these are things that need to be looked at by, you know, states and, and local municipalities when they do this, because in Colorado, we're having that conversation now, you know, the city of Denver is trying to impose another tax on marijuana and raise taxes above 30%. And the people are speaking out that literally the people are saying like, you're going to drive us back to the black market because we have yep. no choice. It's so expensive that why would I buy legal, you know, regulated cannabis when it's, you know, 30% higher than, than anything. And like, especially right now when, it, you know, the economy is tough, you know, and inflation and we're all having a, you know, a tough time just getting groceries and gas and, you know, let alone, you know, trying to buy some gassy weed, you know, it's, it's tough. So I think, you know, as more states continue to kind of look forward, I think those are the big things in my mind is like these licensing fees, uh, how the licenses are structured, and then ultimately taxes on the back end. 
I think that's where you're going to make an incentive of these individuals who have been legacy growers or operators and like give them an incentive because they also have a consumer base that, you know, they've, they've been doing this forever and whether there's been like a regulated market around it or not, like it's still very much a business to them and they have people that they serve. And so they have like anybody with a brain can look at this and say, you know, as a consumer, where are you going to go? You're going to go to a place where it's 30% more or, you know, to your homie that you've been buying from for 20 years, you know, that's 30% less and you know what you're going to get. And I think that's what people have to realize. <laughs> they deliver faster, right yeah. to your house, no questions asked. Yeah. And so I think that's just going to be the big key of like converting people is, is not make it, you know, like not put all these programs in place that ultimately don't address the licensing fees, you know, the, the, the intense capital needed to kind of start up a business. And then ultimately what's going to, you know, the driver of business uh, long run, it's taxes and these tax incentives. And so uh, hopefully, you know, New York's mindful of that and doesn't just keep, you know, going down the road of, you know, taxing the hell out of it like some of these other states have done. And uh, but I do think it's a good approach, at least, to, you know, award licenses, to individuals who have been impacted the most, because that is something that has been, you know, missed in a lot of other states and Colorado, especially and they did try to come back and allow, you know, with delivery services, but you know, delivery services are tough. And we're seeing Let's now- Let's talk about that. The, yeah, there's, you know, uh, one of the delivery services just got announced this week in, in Colorado is already, you know, shuttering business. And they noted in there that they couldn't afford the, the license, like basically re-up their license. They couldn't afford the fees. And so uh, there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of different angles at play here and a lot going on. And, I, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to set anybody up for failure and, but I think, you know, I think a good hard look at this from all angles uh, is what's ultimately going to solve it. You know, I, I completely agree with you on the taxes. I think actually that's one of the things we've been set up for failure in New York because there's been a um, potency tax written into the bill. So that's not going to be in the regulations and that's going to be really tough for like, especially concentrates and stuff. But I would say that a lot of people think that the issue comes from like government not having like the information or, or understanding, but I would, I would change it to empathy. Like if, if you can like really go live a life in somebody's shoes and understand like what it takes for them to run a business, to feed their family, to, you know, keep this operation going and you spend the time to really understand that some of these mistakes seem like trivial. Mm -hmm. Once, once you like really spend the time to do that and, the examples of Colorado raising their taxes, in my opinion, is that the people on the outside looking in just assume that because you have a wheat company, you're making a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. Like you see that in real estate all the time, right? Like you sign your lease and then they think you're, you know, cashing in, they double your rent, right? And now it's killing your margins. And it's, it's because people oftentimes on the outside, in my opinion, lack the empathy to, you know, this is a regular business. Mm -hmm. Like this, uh, this is tough in general. And now it's highly regulated, which adds a whole nother complexity. And if we just spent that time and empathy, whether it's from people in the unregulated or the regulated in Colorado or California, mm -hmm. it becomes much more clear the decisions that are going to be extremely taxing. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I kind of wanted to bring up that story that just happened in Colorado, because it like made me feel so bad. Like we hyped this all up. You know, we're finally getting delivery here in Colorado. It's so cool. Like after all these years, we have delivery. Yeah. They finally did it. And what, maybe this business started in like October, I would say. And now all of a sudden they have to shut down because they can't pay this quarterly fee of like, I don't know, it was like 26000 or 46000 like some ridiculous amount of money. And it's like, don't you feel bad for these people? You know, like they spent all this time and effort 
And that's just one tiny, tiny example of, you know, how many businesses that are failing in this industry because of the fees and the taxes. But we saw in Oklahoma, too. It was the same thing that we, you know, I can't remember off the top of my head the individual we spoke with, but it was the same thing. They they provided all these, you know, social equity licenses in in Oakland, California. And then essentially... A lot of the companies were just out of business by like the next year and they couldn't even pay to, you know, retain the license because the business was just so costly to run that they just couldn't even run the business. And they're like, we have to be out. We don't have any more capital. And and I think that's a piece that I think you're ultimately going to help with is like the business infrastructure and helping these individuals run a business and kind of know what it takes because it is different running a business, you know legally versus the black market. I think that's something that kind of goes without saying. Um, but even individuals just like who want to be a part of this, who maybe have never ran like a big business or a multi-million dollar business or had to deal with 50 employees, like it's going to be challenging for anybody. And I think that's ultimately what people want. And so it's going to be, you have to have, you have to have people on the back in there to support you. And then also know that, you know, the business office of the local government or the state government also, like you said, Jacoby is like empathetic to like these individuals have to run this business and ultimately produce a profit at the end of the day, or they can't stay in business. And everybody's got to understand that. And we talk about, you know, the cannabis tax beyond what everybody thinks of um, that, like insurance charges a, a premium to work with cannabis companies. And, you know, I'm sure packaging companies charge an arm and a leg and we've seen it uh, why we started our marketing agency was because marketing agencies were charging an arm and a leg. And, and everybody just thinks that these cannabis companies are cash cows, and they're not. And, and I think that's what's holding a lot of you know, small businesses back from flourishing. And, uh, and you're right. I think that's what needs to change is we need to look at you know, cannabis businesses as businesses and be empathetic to the fact that like, these are individuals who put a lot out there to, to have this and put a lot on the line to have even a cannabis license. And we should do our best to support them at all angles besides just saying, you know, let's raise your taxes or they're a cannabis business. Let's charge them, you know, another 25% because they got money. Uh, it's just, this is not right. Yeah. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Like I want people to be successful. I want them to have the information they need. But like I said, kind of earlier in the show that we also want to tell them the truth. And I'm like, do not get a second mortgage on your house for this. <laughs> Please. Like, Don't risk like your mom's, I don't know, a uh, retirement fund. Yeah. Like go get some money. And I understand it's hard to get money. Don't get me wrong, but don't risk it all because in every other state, especially for the smallest players, it's, it's brutal. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, there's plenty of success stories of people that have kind of like pushed through, uh, especially the ancillary opportunities as well. But I, I want people to be excited. I want people to shoot their shot, but I, I want them to do it with all the information and some of the historical context. And, and like you said, make sure that you have relationships with people that are making the rules and you're like municipalities, mm-hmm. right? Like that, they need to understand what you're going through. And if you're just planning to, to run a business without kind of this like second arm of like the advocacy, lobbying, whatever you want to call it, you're setting yourself up for failure and this is the time to do it. Mm-hmm. That is it. You know, I think we need individuals like in New York that are helping to write these laws and kind of understand, you know, the plights of, of what's been happening and, and they're able to, you know, be out front of these things and kind of, you know, help, you know, shape them. And that's what you're doing too. You saw in Colorado, you know, what happened and you saw one of the very first legal markets kind of come together. And, and, you know, it is, you know, at first it is all rainbows and sunshines, but I think you did like a very mature thing, which was start recognizing how, how you can help shape it and make an impact and make it better. And now you're taking that to, you know, the next big market. So, you know, I really got to hand it to you. I think what you're doing is wonderful. And I, you know, I really appreciate that somebody, 
you know, it was out here with genuine intention, trying to bring a community together and create something really special. And I truly believe you've done that. And, and you know, in a very thoughtful manner with your events, like we touched on the, you know, the format, uh, the people you're bringing in, you know, the community you're bringing together. It's really amazing. So, you know, kudos to you for, for doing what you're doing. And, and we're proud to know you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Also, shout out to Lulu, my co-founder. Couldn't do it without her. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, for anybody looking to enter the industry, whether you're in New York or not, you know, check out On the Revel online, their online events and dope people. You know, that online community sounds pretty dope as well. So check it out. Sounds like they have really good, honest information for you. I don't think Jacoby's going to bullshit you. So <laughs> he's going to give it to you straight. Um, but one final question for you, Jacoby. Uh, we are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? Oh, I think, I think I like to think I'm lit, but I'm definitely more of a lucid. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> That's fun. I think that was a pretty lit and lucid conversation. So we definitely appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, that works. Like, yeah, you know, we, we look forward to watching your continued growth and, you know, definitely stay in touch. And I think what you're doing is great. And, you know, this is honestly only the beginning for you and the beginning of, of New York. So yeah. I know we'll be hearing from, from you and, and your community a lot more. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, thanks for having me on here. I'm just, you know, happy to do my part to make sure that, that people get this game. There yeah. you go. It's exciting. I, it, it seems hopeful to me. All right, you guys. With that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. This episode of the Lit and Lucid podcast is brought to you by Yoohoo Digital. Yoohoo Digital is a full-service digital marketing agency specializing in website design, SEO, and social media management for cannabis and hemp businesses. Learn more at www.yoohoodigital.com. 